Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from um, Daniel chapter 1, and um, if you'd open your Bible with me, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Daniel reveals to us how people who are faithful to the God of the Bible can flourish in challenging settings. And as Western Christians and as American Christians, at the beginning of the 21st century, I believe that we can learn how to live in a society that has become uh, less sympathetic to those who choose to live according to biblical faith, the faith that is uh, presented in the Bible. As Christians, uh, most of us are in the room, are, uh, and, and maybe streaming, I'm not sure, but uh, most of us are Christians from a majority culture environment. And, and we and our forebears uh, have been used to, have been accustomed to having things our way in our society. But now we find ourselves uh, gradually and more increasingly having to wrestle with how to best respond uh, to a society that is secularizing and becoming more pluralistic. Now you may have noticed this when a new coach comes along. Same team, new coach. Or uh, when a new boss comes along. Same company, same employees, you're one of them, but a new boss or a new ownership uh, assumes leadership of the company or the team or whatever you've been for a long time, how do employees, how do people do, how do they fare when they take the attitude of, hey boss, 
this is not how we do things around here. Not very well, right? I want you to notice how Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, these young men who left their environment and their homeland and are now refugees in Babylon, I want you to notice how they accepted the Babylonian education plan. They accepted it. They went through it. They learned the Babylonian language. They even accepted pagan names that were given to them by the Babylonians. But the king's food, Nebuchadnezzar's dietary plan for their training program, right? the taste of Babylon, was their first sticking point. Why? Why was the food the thing that they chose to resist? The culture, the language, the education, even the names, which were blasphemous names, according to their faith. They accepted all that. But the food they resisted, why is that? As we answer that question today together, I hope you're going to see that God equips His people to flourish wherever He places them. God equips you where He puts you. And that's what we're going to see in Daniel and his three friends. And we're going to look at Daniel's defining traits. What distinguished Daniel and these three young men from the rest. We're also going to look, in turn, at the traits of the church. The people of God in all times, but especially the people of God living as a minority amongst others who do not share their faith, which was the early church. And it's the way Christians really should think in all ages. We're going to look at the traits of the church and the, the traits of true Christianity. What distinguishes that? And then finally, we're going to look at the traits of Jesus Christ and what distinguished Him. So, Daniel's defining traits, those defining traits of the church, and finally, what distinguished Jesus Himself. Okay? Daniel's defining traits, to begin with, distinguished him and his three friends, all four of them, distinguished them through the three-year training program and then beyond that into their long career. God gave these four young men three things, at least three things that we can observe in this text today. God gave them favor, God gave them ability, and God gave them character. Favor, ability, and character to flourish under pressure. We see in verse 9 that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Right? That's Ashpenaz, according to last week's passage. And we see that this is favor that Daniel had at every level. We see that, that he was favored by the steward, who had immediate oversight over these four young men. But then at the next level, he had favor with the chief eunuch, who oversaw the entire training program. Finally, we discovered that they all would have favor with the king himself who had oversight of the entire government and the empire. General principle, right? You cannot succeed in life. You cannot have an impact. You cannot have influence wherever you are without some form of support from your superiors. At some, in some way, your superiors have to kind of be on board with, with who you are and what you're trying to accomplish or you're really not going to get anywhere. 
While that's often, and I would agree, it's often um, attributed to things like our personality or shared interests with the people that we find to be over us, have authority over us, common interests with them, or just the natural chemistry that we have with other people. I think all of that is true, but what we see that's very plain here in Daniel chapter 1 is that it was God, the same God who had given Judah to the Babylonians here, gives Daniel favor with the Babylonians in all of his relationships. You notice that? And in a way, it is a fulfillment. It is an answered prayer that Daniel is doing as well as he's doing. It was a prayer from King Solomon almost 400 years before, recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple to God, the temple in Jerusalem, and he's praying. And one of the things he said was, Lord, if, if your people disobey you and you discipline them and you take them away to a foreign land for that discipline, Solomon prayed these words, Grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Amazing answer to prayer. So God gave Daniel and his three friends favor, goodwill amongst the, the Babylonians, but God also gave them abilities, remarkable, exceptional abilities. We see in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, next week we're going to take a look at what visions and dreams is all about, but for now, let's just think about how they performed. They were so exceptional in all of these areas that of all people, king, the great King Nebuchadnezzar noticed them. Right? It's, like, it's like the president noticing uh, that, that you're an excellent poet. And this just happened recently, and you, you, you recite your poetry at the inauguration. Right? This is a, like, basically <laughs> the, most, the most powerful man on earth notices them because of their exceptional abilities. But remember, they graduated at the top of their class for Babylonian knowledge, not Hebrew knowledge. This isn't their way of life. This isn't the, their worldview. This is pagan mythology. This is the interpretation of dreams. This is Babylonian history. This is the difficult language of Akkadian, not to mention the Aramaic language, which was the, the common language of the day, right? Though they clearly, as Hebrews, did not agree with it all, they excelled in understanding it all. And what we cannot miss here is that God, the God of Israel, made them excel in all of it. <laughs> Parents, imagine that. The state-sponsored education system, right? God makes them excel according to the state-sponsored educational program. That's how they performed. Let's think for a minute about how they looked, because in, in, a little bit earlier in verse 15, it says, after, after Daniel succeeded in allowing them to eat different food, we see that at the end of 10 days, and we're assuming this continued, because if it didn't continue, somebody would have noticed over those three years, but it says they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Now let's put aside for a minute the American pop culture standard for beauty and fitness. Put that aside for a second. Archaeology of the ancient Near East has revealed in like lower reliefs that, that were excavated from walls of buildings 
What has been revealed in archaeology is that the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian kings and the warrior class were depicted as muscular and athletic, of course, right? But listen to this. The wise men, and that's really what Daniel and his friends are being, being groomed to become, the wise men were depicted as, I'm quoting a scholar, bald, big-eyed, which was a symbol of intelligence, and chubby. Bald, big-eyed, and chubby, okay? So I want you, forget about your American sense of fitness and style, and I want you to think less about Chris Hemsworth and think more Jack Black, okay? The, Jack Black is what Nebuchadnezzar and Ashpenaz are going for in what they want their educated scholars and top advisors to be. This, this, is, this is what a healthy, wise man looks like. Think Jack Black, okay? Um, we probably shouldn't keep that up there for too long. Okay, so um, okay, so that's really what they look like. Now, how do they get chubby on vegetables and water, right? Well, we have to understand that the Hebrew word vegetables here, it could mean anything that grew uh, from sown seed. Right? So we're, they, they didn't eat like rabbits. It's not just like, you know, lettuce and carrots and cucumbers. Uh, th this, this could have been uh, anything from grain, breads. It could have been um, fruit. Okay, so more than, more than just like, you know, celery and water here. Um, and, and, and I really think clearly the same God who made them intelligent and successfully academic made them plump also so that they could be acceptable in the sight of the king. So God gave them favor amongst the Babylonians. He gave them abilities exceeding the Babylonians' expectations. And God gave them, most important, character, integrity that guided their decisions and their interactions with the Babylonians. We can't miss this. Did you notice how Daniel protected Ashpenaz's reputation? The chief of, the, chief of the eunuchs? He's in charge of the program. In three years, he's got to present all of these candidates to the king. And the king's going to take his pick of the litter. Aspenaz doesn't want to lose his head. Right? This is on him. He, he respects Daniel and admires Daniel, but he doesn't want to go along with the plan. Notice how Daniel goes around him and goes to the steward, who has direct oversight over him and his friends, and he works out the dietary deal with the steward. Notice how he's protecting Aspenaz's reputation. And he's making it a private matter between himself and his friends and the steward. And you have to wonder whether Ashpenaz, beyond that point, ever even knew what was going on with the diet. Or maybe he assumed a don't ask, don't tell type of approach. We definitely know that the king never knew. He never has a clue. And the steward probably enjoyed the king's food. So Daniel continued to do what he thought was best. So favor, ability, and character allowed these four young men to blend in without sticking out. <laughs> Actually, they blended in and did stick out in a way. But it was a clever way. It was a wise, discerning way. Speaking of sticking out, why was why was the food Daniel's sticking point? Um, could it have been, this is the question that people ask, could it have been a religious issue for Daniel? When you look at the Levitical co uh, kosher laws, 
You know, was this a matter of not being able to eat unclean food as an Israelite? It doesn't seem to be the issue because um, the Levitical food laws do not forbid wine, right? And, 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 and so, so why, why say no to the king's food and wine? So it doesn't seem to be an issue of clean and unclean foods from, from a Hebrew's perspective in a religious sense. So you have to ask, well, is it a conscience issue for Daniel? Was it for conscience sake that he refused the king's diet? Well, unlike New Testament times much later, where Christians living in the Mediterranean world uh, debated whether or not they should eat meat that had been sacrificed to pagan idols, all right, that, that was a different issue. Unlike that, all of Babylonian food, including vegetables, was was sacrificed to the Babylonian gods, was offered to, to the gods before the royal family um, ate the food. So, so even vegetables would have been off limits if this were a conscience issue for Daniel and his friends. So it can't be a religious issue or a conscience issue. We're even going to find out later in Daniel chapter 10, much later in Daniel's life, that he was by then eating delicacies and meat and he was drinking wine. So, so it, this clearly is not a conscience issue and it's not a religious issue. Most commentators believe it was a moral issue. Commentator Joyce Baldwin especially says it wasn't about his religion, it was about his morality. This was a question of who would receive Daniel's ultimate fealty and devotion. This had to do with who was ultimately in Daniel's mind in the mind of his friends, who ultimately were they going to give their heart's devotion to? The king's kindness came at a cost. To receive the king's diet, not eating with the king at his table, but to receive the best food in the land that the king himself would eat. That was a symbol of the king's friendship. And it was really, as one scholar says, a covenant meal. Right? Eating to the ancient people was about relationship. Eating was about forming a covenant between people, right? The king's food was a covenant with the king, right? This meant that, that the king would require favors of them in the future because of his kindness to them now. The king's trying to bring them on board. The king's trying to make them the king's men. And I remember years ago, um, a tradesman in our former church, um, we hired him to do some work in our house. And, and it did good work, and it was a very good price. Well, years later, years later, when things got difficult in his life and um, the elders of the church, when we had to discipline him for some of his decisions, and he didn't like it, he said to me, you remember when I did that work in your house? I gave you a good deal. See, it was understood by him that his previous favor to me was going to require some type of kindness in return in that moment. <laughs> and ever since then, I've been very thoughtful uh, when I hire other people to do jobs in my house. Daniel and his friends remembered Yahweh's covenant outranked all other covenants. And until the year of Cyrus, when Cyrus took over and conquered the Babylonians in 539 B.C., years, decades later, it says in verse 21 that after all of that, Daniel was still there. 
So that means, so he was, he was deported in 605, and, and Cyrus, uh, the, the Medes and the Persians, uh, conquered the Babylonians in 539 B.C. So that's at least 66 years. Daniel was there at least 66 years faithful. He outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel outlasted the entire Babylonian empire. But it all began because of the meals that he and his friends shared together. So, so according to our standards, three years of just vegetable, you know, uh, uh, vegetables and, and water, that's, that's about 3,000 meals, according to our standards of even eating three times a day. I don't know how many times they ate. Um, but 3,000 meals together for three years, remembering where their loyalty lay. This would prove in years to come indispensable training for these young men who would eventually have to face much more daunting problems. And it would be a foreshadowing of what Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's why Daniel and his friends declined the king's food. Now remember what I've been saying that I believe Christians would do far better to identify ourselves with the ancient Jews in exile than the ancient Jews at home. The ancient Jews in their homeland, we cannot relate politically, geopolitically, culturally. Uh, we cannot relate to that. And we should be very careful not to relate to that. The Jews as exiles, that's our starting point. That's what life looked like for the New Testament Christians. So, the church's defining traits, the defining traits of a healthy church and the church in, a, in any society throughout history has always been distinguished in a similar way as what we see in Daniel and his friends. God's favor, God's given abilities, all guided by godly character. We see this throughout human history when the church in a society is healthy. We see God gives the church and Christians... God gives them favor, and God gives them abilities that are guided by godly character. As Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So quite simply for today, in application, we, if you are a Christian, we should be praying for favor. At every level of this community and society, in our school systems, in, in this community where we work, we should be praying as individuals, as a, as a local church, and we should be praying for the body of Christ in our society. We should be praying for God-given favor. We should be praying for kind allies who, even though they may disagree with our beliefs, are kind and sympathetic to us. And, and then we must cultivate those connections, again, as Jesus said, in such a manner that we are wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's really what you see with Daniel and the diet. Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. We should pick our battles and we should choose to not die on every hill. As the scholar Stephen Miller put it in his commentary on Daniel, we should be following Daniel's example of disagreeing in an agreeable fashion. So we should pray for favor, for kind allies in our society and in our community. 
And we should be seeking training. The best training according to our abilities and stewarding our abilities well. Whether they are skilled and learned, uh, whether they are learned and acquired skills, right? Or, or whether they are God-given spiritual gifts. Either way, skills and gifts. Seek the best training and then be good stewards of all that God has given us. That means studying hard. Paying attention even if you disagree. Learning it well from another person's perspective. Daniel and his friends had to do that. We learn that the Apostle Paul very much did that in his day. Studying hard. Working honestly. People notice that you're good at what you do. You're dependable in what you do. And they can rely on you because you do good work. And finally, being available with the, the abilities you have and the resources we have and the gifts that we have, being available to share them for the benefit of others. Kids, listen up. Just imagine that you're best studying now. Your most attentive devotion to work and learning now, imagine that someday that could save a life. Maybe it will save your own. So pray for favor. And then seek training and be a steward of your abilities in a wise way. And then finally, we need to be thinking about growing in Christian character. Growing in Christian integrity. Servant hearts. Having and cultivating servant hearts. A community of people with servant hearts who prioritize the needs of others over their own safety and protection and comfort. It's hard for people to despise you when they see that you are working in their favor and for their benefit. Of course you're going to have enemies in this world. Jesus said, I, I had trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble too as my disciples. But you know what? When we live according to Daniel's witness, the only adversaries you're actually going to have are the people who, whose power and influence are threatened by your integrity. Those are you going to be your enemy. If everybody's your enemy, you're obnoxious. But if you're living according to the faith of the God of Daniel, then the only enemies you're going to have are the people who feel threatened and, 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 and offended by your integrity because it's a threat to their position in life and to their power and to their influence. Think of how the Pharisees, who were very religious and the chief priests treated Jesus. Indeed, what we see from Joseph, who was a slave in Egypt many, many years before Daniel, all the way to the early church recorded in Acts chapter 2, we see these distinctions again and again and again. The favor of God, God-given abilities, but all being guided by godly character. God-given favor, God-given abilities cultivated by the integrity of the character of God's people. And as seen by King Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, who could argue with these traits? Only people whose corruption and ego would motivate them to become our enemies. Now to the Christians in the room and watching online, I'm speaking directly to you, including myself included right now. I have asked you, I've asked us in this series to begin to question and re-examine our assumptions and beliefs 
and habits. And I want to speak to you uh, a quote from Tremper Longman, his very helpful book, How to Read Daniel, but, but, but he, makes, he makes an editorial comment into Christians in our society, and he makes this point. He says, we delude ourselves if we think that the culture is or ever will be friendly to Christianity. He writes, if we feel that the culture is friendly, we are likely compromising. By integrating our faith to the culture, the sin of the so-called religious left. Or by trying to co-opt the power of the state to coerce others to act like Christians. Which is something that Martin Lloyd-Jones many decades ago in England said is never going to happen. If you are trying to get non-Christians to act like Christians, forget it. It's not our calling. Okay, so I'm going to speak directly to you if you are eh, right-leaning, if you know what I mean. If you are right-leaning, look, I know, it, I know it feels like the culture and its values are rapidly and unmercifully drifting away. And I know that that is frustrating, and in ways it is sad, and in ways it is frightening. But I am encouraging you, I am challenging you to pray. To pray for wisdom. Wisdom to discern the difference between the culture's names and the culture's food. Pray for the wisdom to discern the difference between learning the language of the culture and accepting the substance of the culture. There is a difference and you need to know it and live accordingly. Or is every issue and change going to be a battle with you? Okay, I'm going to pick on everybody today. I'm going to speak to our... Uh, I'm going to speak to left-leaning brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, I know it is painful to watch quote-unquote believers put their traditions and way of life above the needs of our neighbors. It is disheartening. It is frustrating. I know. But I am asking you to pray also, and I'm asking you to pray for courage. I'm asking you to pray for the courage to discern, to decline Okay, so there's praying for the wisdom to discern. I'm asking you to pray for the courage to decline the culture's food. Because once you digest it, it will demand your loyalty. Or, or by assimilating and accommodating at every turn, are you going to lose your distinctiveness as a follower of the God of the Bible? Whether you choose to die on every hill or whether you choose to bow at every turn, these approaches, these approaches are diluting our saltiness. These approaches are dimming our light as Jesus' people. And I think they have more to do with the polarization inside Christianity than we care to recognize. Now, remember... Remember that the founder of Christianity fully embodied what we're just tasting, barely tasting in Daniel and his friends. Favor, ability, and character. Are these not why we remember Jesus of Nazareth? 
Are these not why we worship Him? And if you're not a Christian, or if you're wondering really who Jesus of Nazareth is, I would encourage you to look at His favor and ability and character. Jesus, who had favor among the non-religious, amongst the, what you would call worldly people who won their friendship. Jesus, whose abilities and power and wisdom distinguished Him from all prophets and priests and kings and leaders of history. Jesus, whose character and integrity before His heavenly Father gave up its life for His enemies and reconciled them to God. Now is the time to not ask ourselves what it means to act like Americans, but to ask ourselves what it means to act like Jesus. On the former question, there's never going to be disagreement. And I'm sorry, there's never going to be agreement. On the latter, we already have all we need to be the aroma of Jesus where we are right now, as His true followers have always been His aroma throughout history. And we will see in the life of Daniel and the long career of Daniel, to some people it is the aroma of life, and to other people it is the smell of death. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And what we discover by the Apostle Paul's words, we already read this today, is that if you belong to Jesus or if you will give yourself to Him, we discover that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God will equip you where He has put you. God will equip you with all that you need to do His will and to flourish in this life wherever He has placed you. He will give you favor to manage your relationships well. He has already given you, by divine providence, experiences that you can use with the perspective you have from those experiences. And He has given you by divine will spiritual gifts by which others will see Jesus as you employ those gifts. And as you look to Jesus, you will be able to manage that favor and those abilities and that gifting well as His witnesses wherever you are. You'll be able to flourish as we see Daniel in a very difficult situation flourished. God will use you where He places you. Will you let Him? So ask in your prayers. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom to be discerning. But also ask for courage to decline when the world demands more loyalty of you than your God demands. And let's be our best witnesses for Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, it is challenging for us to know how to manage life and faith and work well. We don't have all the wisdom and we certainly don't have all the courage. Frankly, Father, we all need both wisdom and courage. Father, thank You for the witness of Your people who have gone before us, who endured much worse at times, or maybe not as much, but who were faithful to You. We know they weren't perfect, but we thank You for their example. And ultimately, we thank You for Jesus who had all the favor and ability and character there is and yet died for sinners and forgave them on the cross. And uh, we, ask, we ask for such truth and grace to live for Jesus in whatever our situation is. So Father, give us wisdom and give us courage to live for You right now. Amen.